This episode was brought to you with the support from listeners like you. Special thanks to Kyle H., the man with the hat, Violet Passion, and the rest of the Pacey Tapes fan club. Do you want to support this podcast? Do you want to keep this project rolling? Visit thepaceytapes.com to learn more about sponsoring an entire episode of the podcast, contributing to some of the nuts and bolts that make this project go, or joining the Pacey Tapes fan club. That's thepaceytapes.com. Oh, hello! This is Blanche Debris, and you're listening to The Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pasty Tapes. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, recording live today from my closet in Chicago. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020, 2020, however we're saying it. I am so excited for this like sparkly new year, sparkly new decade kind of energy that happens in January. I think it's so wonderful and super inspiring and really fun. And I've texted a bunch of my friends this. I'm sure you've heard it or I've probably said it somewhere on the internet. I feel like 2020 is going to be a big year. I feel like it's going to be a big year for sparkle me in some ways and muggle me in some ways and a big year for a bunch of my friends and everyone. I feel like there's lots of really cool things planned, but then so much more on the horizon that it's so good. And I'm excited for it. And I'm cheering all of you on. So cheers to a new, sparkly, beautiful year. Okay, let's jump into today's episode. This episode, today's episode is something I am super, super excited to share with you. Over the break, my mom visited and I was playing this edit and she just stopped whatever she was doing and she just listened to it. And then it fostered us having a conversation about burlesque. Like she knows I I do it. She knows that I travel for this, all of that. Very supportive. But I don't think she really, like, looked into it or heard too much about it. And hearing today's episode just really intrigued her and impressed her and just blew her away. And also now she's a huge fan of my guest today. My guest today is a burlesque legend who started go-going and stripping in the 1970s and continues to strip today. She is a pure delight, someone beloved across the world. I'm I'm in love with her, been in love with her. The people that I love, love her. I was able to spend time with her over the course of a few days out in Philadelphia. This is actually an episode that I recorded in September when Scott and Dottie Riot brought this guest and I out to Philadelphia for Burlesque and Beyond. We were able to spend a ton of time together and we actually sat down and had this interview. The sound quality is very different. We sat outside for this interview because I'm not going to ask a burlesque legend to sit in a closet with me. I'm not going to do that. That would have been fun, but maybe not the most comfortable. So please bear with me. I edited this episode soundwise as best as I could. I think it's such a delightful, delightful conversation, and I hope you love it too. My guest today is burlesque legend, the Canadian, the delightful, the lady divine, the mama beaver, Judith Stein. Okay, everyone, I am outside in Philadelphia for Burlesque and Beyond, sitting at this... Beside the highway. Beside the highway (laughs) with the burlesque legend, Judith Stein. We're outside and we're not recording in my closet or anything like that. And with the magic of sound editing. We are enjoying a beautiful sunny day in Philadelphia. The sun is shining, the wind is blowing, and we're having coffees and little treats. Judith Stein, thank you so much for being on the Pasty Tapes. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Oh, okay, let's let's jump right in. All right. Okay. I start by asking everyone this question, so you know we'll ask you the same thing. Judith Stein, what is your burlesque origin story? Ah, how I got corrupted and became a stripper. And um, first of all, I want to say that I was never a burlesker. I was a stripper, loud and proud with a capital S. My generation, the burlesque kind of died. We were just kind of keeping it going. Um, how did I start? Um, 
I was at the University of Oregon and uh, studying, and I ran out of money because I had spent, took a year off and went hitchhiking around England and uh, ended up back in Oregon, no job. And um, someone, and I was a pretty radical feminist at the time and quite political. And somebody said, oh, well, you should become a, you should become a, um, they're hiring go-go girls, topless go-go girls at this uh, club. Shut up. Anyway, um, and I was like, I got really quite, yeah, who, how dare you ask me to do that? Blah, 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 you know, it, it was just, you know, up in my political fever. And so anyway, but then I started thinking about it and I could work at night and go to school during the day. And I thought, okay, I'm going, I will bite the weenie. Off I went and it was like I was a little go-go girl and you danced to two songs and you wore a bra and panties and the second song you took your bra off. Okay, I can do that. I was having fun um, at that time. This is a precursor to lap dances. We would do table dances where you dance privately at a guy's table. Well, I got really good at that, right? And so I was, wasn't fulfilling all my duties. And so they bumped me upstairs um, and I would work in between the strippers. And there were two go-go girls and one or two strippers. And usually the strippers were from out of town. They were touring strippers out of Portland, Oregon, or San Francisco. That was basically West Coast. Um, and it was like, I started watching them and it was like, yeah, okay, I get this. And uh, <laughs> so with my little bra and panties, all of a sudden I had a little bra, panties, and a little hat. And then I had bra panties, a little hat, and a bow tie. And then it was like, and all of a sudden, finally this woman said, you should become a stripper. And I sort of got what it was about. It was about the tease, you know, it was about, you know, eye contact, it was about showmanship, right? And so I thought about it and it was like, yeah, okay. So I went to Alaska and worked for six months during king crab season and pipeline and it was rough and tough but on the way I was still trying to justify myself as a quote-unquote sex object mm -hmm. and in the Seattle airport I happened to pick up a book and it was the story of the dance hall girls of the gold rush and I'm reading about these women who had gone north to make the money and you know they were dance hall girls and whatever whatever and I went yeah okay I'm a modern day dance hall girl. I get this, you know. Yeah. I get this far out, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I went and made some money and <laughs> I worked as a bouncer in a strip club. Uh, I, as I a bouncer? I was a bouncer. I was a bouncer. Up there, it was like these guys, choppers, would come out of the bush. And they'd been in the bush, like, isolated for like six months, trapping and hunting or whatever. First thing they do, they go to the strip club. They wanted a bottle of whiskey, right? And they wanted to see some tits and ass, mm -hmm. right? Then they get really drunk, and our bouncers were like biker guys, mm -hmm. right? So they go, you know, the, the bouncers are trying to bounce these guys up. Well, these guys are big burly guys too who have been drinking a lot right? right well you know egos are going to clash so i went to my boss and i said i'd like to be a bouncer he said get out of here judith i said no seriously let me be a bouncer he said okay you work saturday night which is like just a hopping night right yeah so i had my nice little suit and the good bun in the hair and uh, spotted a guy sitting in the bar and he was you could smell him like miles away, you know, big beard, you know, just burrah. And uh, he was getting drunk. So I um, sort of sashayed over and said, hi, you know, so good to see you. Um, I'll buy you a drink. And I was like, okay, sit down, have a drink with him and chit chat and a little bit, you know, so he just out of the bush and, you know, How'd your season go? That kind of, I knew a little bit about the industry, so mm -hmm. I could talk that. So anyway, I said, you know, and then finally I said, listen, you're getting a little loaded. And I said, 
it's time for you, I think it'd be a good idea for you to go. You know, you can come back tomorrow. Yeah, start over tomorrow, it's fine. Start over tomorrow, right. He said, okay, yeah. And he said, oh, well, and I said, I'll walk you to the door. He said, well, everyone will think you're going out with me. I said, I don't care. I said, I just want to make sure you get out safely. So anyway, we're going to the door. He stops in front of the bar and he goes, he pulls out a wad of cash mm-hmm. for $65,000. He said, hold this for me till tomorrow. I went, uh, no. I said, but we, let's talk to the bartender and we'll put it and see if we can put it in the safe. Mm-hmm. So, okay, bartender said, you're out, sure. So I think I peeled off like 100 for a room, 100 for a girl, 300 for a shit shower and shave. Mm-hmm. Right, and a little note in his pocket, put him in the cab, and I knew which cab drivers were cool, and had already booked a hotel room for him, right? So the next morning he came back, and you know, looking totally different, pulls out his little note, and he goes, I found this in my pocket. We said, yeah, we've got it, right? Counted it all back out for him, showed him the receipt, blah, 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 blah. He peeled off a thousand for me and a thousand for the bartender, and said, can I tell my friends about this? Wow. And we said, yep. So, yeah, that was my that's my bouncer story. I guess I was one of those people that I'm an opportunist. If I see something that I could do, that I'd like to try, I'm an adventurist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm totally into adventure. That's why I became a stripper. Right? And uh, so anyway, yeah, that was my story. Anyway, so I met these strippers and they said, you can make, if you become a stripper, you can make $300 a week and they'll fly you to Alaska or they'll fly you to Hawaii or they'll fly you to Guam you know and it was like yeah yeah so um off I went to San Francisco got some two custom-made costumes mm-hmm. they put me in a theater with Holiday O'Hara and Isis Star and you know I'm the new kid on the block right and they basically mentored me and, um, you know, it was like, you know, what? I remember they pulled out this bright red lipstick and said, this is called cocksucker red. This is what you wear, right? And it was like, so, yeah, I plunked along, you know, in this, I think I worked there three or four months and got an agent, got my 8 by 10 glossy photos, cobbled together a couple little acts that I could sew, and uh, off I went. Off you went. Off I went, and uh, back to Alaska. <laughs> and they booked me in Alaska. So it was, it was an adventure. You know, it was like totally an adventure. Some of it was good. Most of it was outrageously great. Yes. You know, some of it totally sucked. Yeah. You know, but I kept going. But you kept going. Okay. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I like entertainment. Like, I like making people smile. I used to say, take my clothes off and people laugh. That was my stripper thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, because at that time I was like 90 pounds. Somebody said I shouldn't use the word goofy, but I was kind of funny on stage. I could never pull off the, the classic, you know, the bumps and the grinds and, you know. So I would come up with all these, like, Sammy made the pants too long with the long pants, mm-hmm. right? A lot of times, you know, I necessarily wasn't a big feature, but I always got booked with features. And sometimes at one point, they were bringing in porn stars who could not dance away out of a paper bag to save their life. Right. So I was their backup. Right. Right. So, yeah. But, yeah, so that's that's how I got started. That's incredible. You're an adventurer, right? You've done Guam, Hawaii, Alaska, and I hear you have some wild tales from your adventures overseas. Do you want to give us a couple stories? All right. I got booked in Guam. I used to get booked there quite regularly. And it was a three-month gig. And Guam is a beautiful little tropical island. It's just gorgeous. And close to the Philippines, right? Yes. And um, there's a big military base. There was submarines and Air Force and Navy and it was I was just say it was hot and cold running sailors, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I like those boys, right? And they were good guys, and they were stuck on this little island, 
Right. And we were, you know, there was nothing going on. Three miles long by 20 miles wide. Hello. Mm -hmm. Right. There were like, I think, five strip clubs. And um, because also they had a beginning Japanese tourist trade that oh. burgeoning, right? So that was cool. Um, so it's one time I'm working and the club is across the street from the Navy Hospital, which is covers the, the full Pacific. There was a like nuclear medicine, there was a whole nine yards. Anyway, um, and I, you know, and the corpsmen, it was all corpsmen and core women that come into club. You know, I got to know them, you know, we hung out. So there was a typhoon coming in. And all the other strippers left. Guess who stayed? You know, I've never seen a typhoon before. Okay. <laughs> right? So anyway. Blown stripper in the typhoon. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do like to get blown. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, these, there were typhoon warnings coming in. So the kids, the sailors said, listen, we're having a party in the barracks. And it was mixed barracks, you know, and I knew these guys pretty, and girls pretty well. And he said, we're having a party, you know, it's fun. we'll wait till this typhoon blows over. Yeah, so bring your sleeping bag and bring some snacks and bring a case of beer. Sure, okay. Mm -hmm. Party that night, had fun. Woke up the next morning and it is really blowing. We got woken up by Chief Simmons, who I will never forget. And he goes, you guys got to evacuate, the roof's coming off. So we end up in the hospital. I'm there. Chief Simmons goes, Stein, you can't come in. I went, what? He goes, you're a Canadian, we're on red alert. I had happened to have met the old man, which is like the skipper, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we had chatted a little bit. I think he was having a dalliance with Mama Son, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so anyway, I said, can you see the old man? So I go up and he goes, what are you doing here? So anyway, um, he said, didn't you tell me you used to be a nursery school teacher? And I said, yeah. He said, perfect. He said, I got a job for you. And uh, because during a typhoon, it's either the pressure, the atmosphere pressure either goes up or down. I think it goes down. And women who are like seven months pregnant or more are going to pop. Right. Right. As well as the ships had to go out to sea. So what happened was there were like 16 kids on their own, you know, between the ages of five and 16, I think. Okay. He said, you're in charge. I went, okay. He said, what do you need? I said, get me all the books out of the schoolroom. You know, give me a good secure place. You know, give me two Marines on each shift, right, so I can take a break sometimes. Yeah, he said, you got it. So I had 15 kids, and the wind's blowing, and I'm watching palm trees slide across, like, horizontally. The window started going, so we had to evacuate to this, like, um, it was like a hallway, right, with these kids. And so, okay. You know, it's blowing and, you know, and, and I'm running around because all my clothes are wet. I'm running around in Navy issue and I'm getting stopped going, hey, Taylor, you didn't right. salute. I'm going, I'm no stripper. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody knew about it, right? So that went on for, they thought it would blow over in two days. It, the typhoon turned around and came back and hit us on the other side. So we were under red alert for five six days that's a long time that's a long time it got to the point like we had no power right and we actually and of course the refrigeration's gone everything you know, and um, except for the emergency rooms and the operating rooms right and uh, so it, it got towards the end that we were actually eating sea rations from world war ii right and it was so anyway it all ends um, I was the only stripper left on the island, right. so all the mama-sons were like, you come work for me, how much you pay? <laughs> so one mama-son came up with a good price, I said, okay, I'm yours, right? Mm -hmm. So that was cool. So then um, a couple of brass military, maybe, came in and they said, we'd, um, we'd like to invite you aboard um, the SSMB Robert E., which is a submarine. And uh, he said, 
And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I'd love that. And he said, we'd like to invite you for lunch. And I said, okay. So I get there, and it's this big, huge ceremony where people are getting awards. I got, was given an award for, um, anyway, it was a recognition of my part in uh, procuring the safety of dependents. Medal of Honor. Yeah. Right? It was just like, oh, okay. Yes. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, my life has been like that. You know, just, Incredible. Just, you know, stuff happens. I seem to be at the right place at the right time. Right. Most of the time. I've been in the wrong place at the right time. <laughs> and all variables. I've worn many hats. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because my hair is always a mess. But anyway. <laughs> so what else do you want to know? Okay. Let's keep the stripper hat on for a second. Tell me about your life as a touring stripper across Canada. Actually, I toured across Canada and the United States. I started stripping mostly in the States. The end of my career, I'm in a moment of political anger, mm -hmm. frustration. Mm -hmm. I had a green card and mm -hmm. I sent it back. And um, I went to live in, I was working in Vancouver. Um, I was supposed to be booked on a tour through Washington State. Somehow that fell through. So, and my agent said, look everywhere, you know, everything's booked. Like you called me like on a Friday. And I said, okay, well, let me see what I can get, right? So I knew one agent in town. So I called him up just before cell phones and internet. The line was busy. And it was, I had the phone book out. And there was one that said Choice Entertainment. And I called this number and I said, hi, my name's Drew Stein. You know, I'm a stripper and um, may I speak to the manager? And someone goes, Judith Stein. And I said, who is this? And she goes, it's Katie Lynch. I own this, I own this agency, blah, 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 blah. I said, this is what happened. You got anything, right? She goes, let me look. I'll call you back in 10 minutes. She called me back and she said, okay, Prince George, BC, which is Northern BC. Yeah. She said, okay, go, um, I can get you I think at that time it was like 700, but you got accommodation and plane fare. Okay, fine, right? And so I went and did my show, and um, that night she called me and she goes, you didn't tell me you had a bathtub, right? And I had a baby's bathtub that I used to take a bath in. Okay. Right, and I went, yeah, and she goes, okay, this is a whole, so she goes, okay, next couple gigs, 1,200, fine. Right, and uh, so yeah, and she promoted me, so I became a feature then. Right, um, like I said, it didn't matter to me whether I was a feature or not. I just wanted to dance. I just wanted to make money. Yeah. You know, or I wanted to go explore some town. You know, it was like, why did I go to Alaska? Because I'd never been there. Why did I go to Guam? I had never been there. You know, it's a working vacation. So. So, um, yeah, working in Canada was a whole different ballpark um, than in the States. And in the States, it was mostly, it was nightclubs yeah. when I worked. And, um, or roadhouses, or honky-tonks, which, yeah, uh, I love Texas just because it was like honky-tonking. <laughs> and I had a cowboy act, so they liked me. Perfect, you fit right in. Yeah, and, I, and, and it was a, a dumbass cowboy act. Um, so yeah, so I started working in Ontario, or I started working in BC, and then I started, I just traversed across Canada. Yeah, okay, so basically, there weren't that many nightclub strip bars in Canada. But what was happening, we have things we call beer parlors, which are like a pub. Okay. And every town has one. Okay. Right. Beer parlor. A beer parlor. Okay. And it's basically for working guys, going for a beer, right? You know, maybe on Saturday night they might have music or something. But what was happening was that they were losing their customers. You know, people were becoming politically conscious, so weren't drinking as much. So, what do you do? You bring in strippers, of course. <laughs> you know? Right. Naked butts pay. Right? right, right. So anyway, yeah, so some of these places, it was hilarious. Like, some of them would be like, the stage would be like, 
four Coke cases and a piece of plywood and one one green light, and you handed your bartender the, your um, we had cassette tapes at that time, mm -hmm. and he'd plunk it in, and you know at the end of your show you picked up the shit, and, you know. But the audiences were great and they were fun, you know. Generally, you know, there's always some places there. A couple in there that are a little tough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but and. Um, so you'd have a 12 noon show because you catered to the sawmill or the steel mill or whatever, right? So 12 noon show, or I think it was like 12.30. So they don't come bopping in with their lunch buckets, right? And have a beer, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you gave them a little bit of sexy, yeah. Then they would come back at 5.30, right? Mm -hmm. On their way home, grab a beer. And in Canada, we were called peelers. We were the peel catch the peeler. Peeler? Uh, a peeler. Yeah. A stripper peeler. At that time, I would pull out, and I had a lot of comedies, you know, um, my bathtub, or um, I did a country and western thing with big fake kits. And was, yeah. And um, so that was funny. So they would go off and have dinner, and a lot of times they go to their wives. She comes to see this tripper, she's really funny. Or she takes a bath on stage. A lot of the women wouldn't go there because it got really, it got down and dirty, you know, mm -hmm. at that time, right? And I was still pretty clean, mm -hmm. right? And uh, so they bring their wives back. And of course the wife was looking somewhat uncomfortable, like, oh my God, what am I doing here? What am I gonna see, right? And so, you're sick over it, or you know, or you're going up on stage and you go, so what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this, right? Mm -hmm. And make her comfortable. So then she tell her girlfriends, right? So, and then the bar owner was really happy because he's selling lots of beer. Right, right, more people. Ta-da. Yeah. It's business, honey, it's business. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it's so, business. yeah. So yeah, Canada was fun. You know, like I said, it was rustic. One note, I was still booking through an agent in Las Vegas, and he sent me to this place. Yeah, it's like a mountain town. It's you know amazing skiing in the Rockies. So here I am with my two suitcases and my skis. I get a call, and he's like an old Jewish guy from Las Vegas who doesn't mm -hmm. get skiing at all, right? Right. right? And he's like, "You brought your skis? Yeah, brought your what? You know?" And I said, well, "Yeah, well, I don't have to be at work till eight." So I can ski in the morning. He goes, not on my contract. And I, he would put <gasps> riders on my contract that I couldn't take my skis with me. Wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I used to drive him nuts. But I was an, I was a nice Jewish girl, right? And it was like I remember when I like back in my day, it was all the vaudevillian guys who became agents, and most of them were Jews, mm -hmm. right? So I call him up and I go, hello. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jody Stein, you know? And he was like, I'm a stripper, I'm looking for work. You wanna work Miami? Of course I wanna work Miami. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, so, yeah. I played that card too. Yeah. You play yeah. what you got. Right, it's a hustle. It's a hustle, yeah. It's a hustle. It wasn't, obviously I wasn't doing it for the good of my health. <laughs> you know, I cannot look at another bottle of champagne ever. But that basically only happened in the States where you did the, the champagne hustle. Okay. Yeah, that was an, an American thing. And Do you want to tell our listeners what the champagne hustle is in case they don't uh, know? Okay, the champagne hustle is you uh, sweet talk a customer into buying you a bottle of champagne so you will continue to sit with him. There were various sizes of champagne and what you got, okay? And there was a whole thing where, um, back behind the bar, the champagne was always warm, back mm -hmm. behind the bar, the bartender shake it all up, and then it was a whole tray set up with, you know, the, the glasses, the two glasses and an ice bucket and and on the tray was a towel the waitress or the mama's hand would bring the bottle and she would of course she'd open it and half of it would be with the bottle right 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 so then you would sit you know and she would pour and you would distract him 
So she would be overflowing the glasses, so it would go into the towel. Oh, into the towel. Right? Yes. So then she'd go, oh, not very cold. Right? So the ice bucket, and like, boom, 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 right? Overflowed more. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? So then, you know, it's Tupshida, which is Korean for cheers, right? Mm -hmm. Here's mud in your eye or whatever. And uh, so you would have a sip, right? And you would hold it in your mouth. And we had tall frosted glasses. So I always, I always like to um, chase my champagne with a little bit of water, mm -hmm. right? So you sip, hold it in your mouth, pretend like you're drinking this water, right? And what you were doing, you were spitting it back mm -hmm. in, right? Or, you know, he wasn't looking, pour it down your leg, you know, it was like, but, and oh my goodness, I'm out of champagne. I'm so thirsty. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then in Guam, we had a lot of Japanese. And at that time, my hair was like super white blonde down to my butt. Mm -hmm. And um, we would have to bring on the next girl. So we were giving a microphone to introduce the next girl. And because there were so many Japanese, I had like bleach blonde hair, but I bleached my pussy blonde. <laughs> right. Consistency. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> So I'm standing on stage and I'm being on the next girl and this little Japanese man came running up with a hundred dollar bill going, Omiyaki, Omiyaki, which is a souvenir, huh? And he went and he pointed to my pussy and he said, Omiyaki, which, and I think the word was monko. And I was like, oh, souvenir. And I went, and my boss, a Korean guy who's super smart, comes running up with a little pair of scissors and a little napkin and he goes, Snip. Right, so gave it to handed me a hundred bucks and it was like, fuck yeah, I'm in. It was all crazy, silly stuff that we did. Yeah. yeah. And that's what made it interesting. There were some dives and yeah, there were some rough girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, that sometimes got yippy. Especially the generation before me and some of my, it was changing my generation. Most of these girls were like pretty, pretty girls who had nice bodies, right? They usually had no education mm -hmm. or very little education. They got into stripping, they made money, mm -hmm. right? Um, they were smart enough to get into stripping, right? They just had no formal education. And, and back in the 50s and 40s, what choice, you know, you got married. Right. Yeah, you know, and a number of the older legends are eight husbands later, right. right, which is cool, you know. My generation, we were a little hipper, you know, um, we burned our bras and we did inhale, and, okay. uh, you know, and we were like feminists, so, you know, it was a little bit different, but we still played it, you know. And yeah. Like, you know, we played it, we played it for what it was worth, and it was, yeah, they talk about now, um, the new Velasco is like a political statement. The only political statement I had, honey, was I was making I was making money with my pussy. Right. Without having to use it. Yep. <laughs> That's a statement. That's a bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And taking care, you know, putting myself, finishing school, you know, buying a house, you know, setting myself up without having to becoming without having to become someone's little woman. Right. Yeah, I was definitely, yeah, I've always been pretty independent. Am I giving you what you want? You wanna, should we roll it back to today? What do you want to talk about next? Um, okay, I'm going to get a little iffy political with this. Okay. And you can use it or not. Um, Wait, let's let this truck go by. The suspense. All right. What I'm at, what concerns me, okay, I'll use the word concerns me, mm -hmm. is some of the burlesquers, right, say that they're burlesque dancers, that they do not connect with their history, which was stripping. Right. You know, there were burlesque shows and they were a stripper in a burlesque show. Okay, burlesque show was the whole show the actors, the comedians, the dogs, and stuff like that. You were a stripper in a burlesque show. 
I've run into a couple kids where I go, oh, Sarah's tripper. Oh no, I'm a burlesque dancer. Yeah, oh, I wouldn't do that. And I said, honey, the only difference is, is they're making money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the bottom line. And who let, you know, get off your fucking high horse. You know, come on, we should be, you know, it's about, it should be about women and men's in all gender solidarity. Mm-hmm. Right? There's always been a history of provocative women who made a living out of being sexy and provocative. It goes back to ancient Greece, to the temple dancers, the belly dancer, the um, flamenco dancer, the stripper. And these were women who owned their own power, put it out. Some, you know, and it's like some people go, oh, it's to be provocative. I think in a lot of ways underneath that was celebrating our womanhood as well as making men think about the strength that we do have. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I talk about, you know, so somebody, you know, and, and like sometimes I see some acts on in burlesque and I go, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. And um, actually, I've just made a new term. I call it angst burlesque. Angst burlesque. Tell <laughs> us more about angst burlesque. Angst burlesque. Seen. I don't know. It's I've seen some stuff that, and God bless them. You know, um, somebody didn't tell them they were supposed to be having fun, right? Right. Whereas, just I don't know, seems to be working out there their deep, dark, emotional issues. Well, when I go to a burlesque show, I want to have fun. I want somebody who's like giving me the wink and the smile. I'm old school, you know? I want somebody to tease me. If you watch some of the, the working strippers, you know, it's like we all look at each other and go, is this absurd or what? Yeah, so it's it's been, you know, I'm old school, as I said, you know, but that's, what I like to see is like entertainment. I'm sorry you have issues. The place to work them out is with your uh, psychologist or good friend or a group. An audience is not a group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even though people now it's like you see some pretty bad acts and everyone's like, oh, that was so fabulous. It was like, uh, okay, I get the support. But me being a businesswoman in this field, I'm going, I won't let you hear my stage. Mm-hmm. You know, or I would like to see you do this, this, and this, and work on that, and then come back to me. Right. You know, and let's, let's develop an act that is stage-worthy. You know, like big-time stage-worthy. Let's get you booked. Right. You know, that's the goal. Let's right. make you money. Let's make money. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's my political, that's my political rant for the moment. Okay. Yeah. And I can't imagine. Okay, the world, you can just email me your disagreements. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Thank you so much for spending this afternoon with me while we sit in traffic and eat treats. Um, Let's close out. Let me ask you, what's it like being involved with the Burlesque Hall of Fame, being a living legend, what has this experience been like for you today? <laughs> you know, in our today times. Um, being a legend. Yeah. Last thing I ever thought would ever happen to me. When I quit dancing, I was sort of kicked back, retired to my little mountain home, and said, well, that was interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the way I got discovered, I call that, was I had heard about, oh, I, people in my little town, women my age used to call me up and go, so do I wear my panties over my gutter belt or under my gutter belt? And I go, well, if you want to fuck with their stockings on, you know? And they're like, and you know, or they call me up or they go, so what was it like, you know? And, you know, oh, my husband had loved, you know? So I said, maybe I'll just teach a class. And I was calling it stripper. Okay. So I Googled stripping, a bunch of crap comes up. So I Googled burlesque and Joe Weldon came up. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so I emailed her and went to order her book, right? And it was like, hi, my name's Sue Stein. Yeah, I used to be a stripper. Um, I'd really like to order your book. And she went, Sue Stein, all the legends talk about you at Beehive. And I'm going, what's a legend? What's what's Beehive? What's a Beehive? What's a Beehive? <laughs> so she told me, and I went, okay. So I was still working, so I had a little bit of spare change. So And I went, it was a year, it was at the Palms. But anyway, I walked in. And there's Fanny Annie and Satan's Angel and Holiday O'Hara and Isis and all these women I used to work with. Right. Right. And they're going, Stein, where the fuck did you go? And, said, and they had worked in the town that I am in now. It was like, a, again, because American strippers would come up to work in Canada because the money was really, really good. Mm -hmm. And actually, when I was working in Canada, I would bill myself as an American mm -hmm. to make more money. Right. So I said, you know, I moved to Nelson, you know, got this little house, I'm making foil at nightgowns, you know, and so anyway, that was cool. So, yeah, and it was like, I was, I'd only been to Vegas like for two days once before, like way back when. Okay. And uh, I was like pretty overwhelmed. So they said it was going to be the Orleans, and by that point I was talking to Fanny Annie and... Right, and Fanny and I, Annie and I were on the road together. Right, that was a trip. That was so much fun. But anyway, um, she said, "Well, come on back. You know, it's going to be up there." And I said, "It's going to be better." Blah, blah, blah. She said, "You can stay with me if you want." And I was like, "Okay." And so I went to the Orleans, and Burgundy Bricks out of Vancouver was helping Fanny. Okay. Right, and um, Fanny goes, "Burgundy, you're from Vancouver, and Burgundy's." Vancouver, and she goes, you know, Judith Stein's a legend. She's a Canadian, mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden, I'm the Canadian legend of burlesque. Right. It was like, okay, okay, you know. So then the calls started coming in. Do you want to perform? And I said, I'm really not ready. Mm -hmm. Let me think this out, right? And uh, so finally, Cheesecake Burlesque, mm -hmm. right, who are great kids. Yes called me and they said, we're coming to do a show in your little theater. We have a beautiful little historic theater in our town, right? Do you want to be in it? And it was like, uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> and I went, oh, sure, what have I done? Right, so <laughs> called up my friend in Las Vegas. She cobbled together a costume. I found some music. And it was like, and after I'd seen it, all this burlesque at Beehive, I thought everyone was doing classic, right? Mm -hmm. So then... I got booked at, right after, and that was fun. That first show, it was a, it was a kicker. Because it was like everybody I knew that I skied with, my, I had a stepson, he was there. You know, it was like all these people. Yeah. I live in a small town, right? Yeah. And uh, so it was like, okay. And I had a really good time. But finally, I just went, okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to go out there and enjoy myself. So then um, they booked me for the Vancouver Burlesque Festival, mm -hmm. right? So it used to be Judith Stein, the Lady Divine, California's Golden Gift to Burlesque. And anyway, Burgundy said, we need a new tagline for you. And it was like, okay. And so we're sitting there thinking and thinking. And finally she goes, I got it. Oh, we were trying to think Canadian. You know, maple syrup, you know. Right. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And we went, beaver. Grand Beaver of Canadian Burlesque. Grand Beaver. So off I went. And so Tigger was doing that show. Yeah. And after I got off stage, he went, when, okay, I'm booking you right now for the Legend Show. And I went, no, I'm not ready. Because I'm just doing classic. Yeah. Which I'm not a big classic fan, right? I said, no, no. And he said, what'd you think about it? And I said, yeah, I'll definitely think about it. So every year he called me up, I think two years. Finally, I said, and I thought about it, and I was like, what do I want to do? And having watched legend shows, you know, all those women were like very glamorous. Mm -hmm. They all had big tits, and, you know, and they all did gloves. And, you know, it was gloves. It was classic. It was very right? classic, yeah. And I thought, I'm going to throw a wrench into this, right, and show you guys that that's, you know, there are variations on this, right? 
So that's when I put together my long pants out. Yeah. Right? And uh, actually the suit is made out of long chair material. Perfect. <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, so I did that show and it was like, they loved it, you know? And uh, the producers always go, so we really like having you with your absurd ideas because we can put you in there and break it up, right? And yeah. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so I did that and then the second time I went, I rested on my laurels for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then the second was if grandma could see me now and I wear like, when grandma had a go yearning for a garment, she went tracking down a garment. I really like Broadway stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I get off on the words and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I had like six pairs of panties and I just kept popping off underneath my crinoline. Yep, and love it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what I do. I do dumb stuff, yeah. But, um, and I'm not a dancer, you know. Um, but somehow, and somebody had to explain this to me, because I didn't get it, they said, they're telling me that I have a good connection with the audience, you know, that, you know, just, it's like, I'm not in character, I am who I am, on stage and off, yeah, and it's just like, what you see is what you get. Right. Obviously, it's been working. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it's, um, Weehawk, I went this year, I don't know, I just wasn't feeling it this year. Mm -hmm. um, it was, I don't know why. Um, it's like I hate being enclosed. I hate that recycled air. Yeah. And that cropped hair on the carpets. Yeah. And that constant noise. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually get up at like six o'clock in the morning and I go walk. Um, I've got one of my Canadian kids, Lulu Duario, and I met her in. Ottawa, and then she came to Nelson, you know, so, no, I'm Mama Beave, right? You are Mama Beave, right? I am Mama Beave, yeah, I have more kids sleeping on my couch, or in tents, on the front yard, or whatever, right? right? So I really wanted to be there to support her, right? And then there were a couple kids that did duets and other stuff like that, so yeah, I just wanted to be there for them. Yeah. Right? So I went late, right? And then after that, it was like, I was really gone. I was tired, yeah, I was burnt out. And um, and I really wanted to go to the show because Ophelia was in it. He's my, right. bu my bud. Yeah, it. yeah. But I just could not get it together. So I waited till everybody was down in. I had a nice bath, I washed the crap out of my hair, I mm -hmm. hair spray, mm -hmm. right? I was in bed by probably like 10 o'clock. Yeah. And, well, I had a six o'clock flight too. Yeah. Life, so. oh. And it was like, I'm sorry I missed it, but I'm also learning that I'm not 22 anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm getting old, honey. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to turn in. <laughs> I like being old. Yeah. Yeah, I like where I am, you know, and uh, yeah, other than the fact that now I have to wear a bra and I've got a gown on, i got to do the Spanx and, uh, <laughs> you know, but, yeah, and it's hard, you know, trying to figure out how you can get the eyelashes over the wrinkles. <laughs> it's always a challenge, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, um, I, you know, I don't know, you know, um, yeah, but we're always happy to see you. So happy to have you. It's always nice to be had. Mm-hmm. Well, you're <laughs> very much loved. All right, anything else that you want to say before we wrap up? No. Okay. Yes. Keep up the work. Good work. Don't work for free. Tits up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about as far as I'm going to go this morning. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the Facey Tapes. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed. Thanks again, Judith. And thank you again, Dottie and Scott, for making that weekender happen. It was so much fun, and I'm so glad I got to spend time with Judith. So, so, so grateful. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Pacey Tapes. I want to know your thoughts. What did you think of 
Judith Stein. What have you thought about the last six months of the podcast? Talk to me. I want your feedback. You can send me a text or leave me a voicemail anytime at the Pasty Tapes hotline. That's 1-530-PASTIES, 1-530-727-8437, or shoot me an email at thepastytapes at gmail.com. I have so many cool things lined up for you in 2020. We have a number of episodes lined up. I have some interviews that I think are going to be spectacular. I think this is going to be a cool year. And thank you so much for being along for the ride with the Pasty Tapes. If you want to support this podcast, visit thepastytapes.com and learn more about the Pasty Tapes fan club. Check out how you can sponsor an entire episode of the show or contribute to some of the nuts and bolts that make this run. I want to go ahead and thank our Pasty Tapes fan club members. Thank you again to Kyle H., the man with the hat, Violet Passion, Tony Tabasco, Kits and Sass, Rosalie Bloom, Fufu Kaboom, Big Moody Judy, Margot Royale, Frisky Business, and Pepper Darling. Love always to Kitty LaRoyal, Aria Delanoche, Betty Beware, Dixie Disaster, Cece Bombay, and Mother Girth. Again, if you want to join the Pacey Tapes fan club or sponsor an entire episode of the show, visit thepaceytapes.com. I am your host, Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling, and you can find me at Show My More across the internet or in a city near you, hopefully soon. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Pasty Tapes, and I will talk to you soon. You have been listening to the Pasty Tapes, a burlesque podcast by Show My More, the steamiest Asian dumpling. This is Blanche Debris saying thanks for listening, and see you later, ducklings. I am dancing across the Midwest this winter. You can catch me January 17th and 18th in St. Louis in Lola Van Ellis Shimmy Showdown. On January 25th, you can catch me at Shrimp Cocktails Shrimp O Strip Show in Canton, Ohio. I will be the featured performer alongside headliner Dirty Martini. On February 13th, 14th, and 15th, you can catch me in Minneapolis in Electrocute Presents The Pink and White Ball to benefit Planned Parenthood. On February 21st, I will be in Chicago for the first time performing in a handful of months in Jezebelli's Essence of Glamour at the Newport Theater. And March 6th and 7th, I will be in Indianapolis in Front Row Paul's Burlesque Bonanza. Stay tuned for more information on that one. You can find me on the internet at Show My More, and you can learn more about how you can find me in person by visiting showmymore.com.